What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi there, this is John Hodge. If you're enjoying the Three Down Nation podcast, please look for us on Thursday evenings when Justin Dunk and I break down the latest on the news surrounding Canadian football. And in addition, we've got some great episodes coming out between that. For example, I had a debate with Dave Naylor recently. Today, I had a chat with Matt Sakaris of the Sakaris and Price Show. So please subscribe to the Three Down Nation podcast if you have not already on your favorite podcast provider. We assure you, that there will be lots of quality content coming on this platform. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. This is John Hodge, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. We've got Matt Sakaris, formerly of the Globe and Mail, formerly of TSN 1040 in Vancouver, now with the Sakaris and Price podcast available wherever you find your podcasts. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today on the Three Down Pod. John, my distinct pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Now, you've spent the past 20 years right in and around the CFL reporting on it. Obviously, we've had some shocking news over the past few weeks with the talks that uh, the XFL and the CFL are currently engaged in. Let's just get your preliminary thoughts about this story. What, what do you think about a potential marriage between the CFL and the XFL? Well, first of all, it's the biggest story of my 20 years covering the Canadian Football League. And I think you have to go back to the last round of U.S. expansion in the mid-90s and the folding of the Ottawa Rough Riders in 1996 to find the last story that was this big, this tectonic uh, in terms of the CFL's survival so needless to say it caught my attention and and as somebody who has loved our version of the game the 12-man game the three down game uh you know as a youth football player and as a chronicler of the sport on on my my way up through student journalism and uh you know as the kid of uh parents who were alouette stampeders and rough rider season ticket holders at one point (laughs) uh i've had a great fortune of living around this country and seeing you know the cultural uh, attachment to the canadian football league so needless to say i am concerned here going forward now the the narrative that's kind of been out there and, and as you said on your on your show on on tuesday there's very little you know kind of hard evidence hard facts that that's out there there's there's mm-hmm. very little details about what this could look like what propagated this i know i asked wade miller the the day it broke the bomber ceo and president Directly, is this you know is this potential partnership having to do with the CFL's financial struggles? And he told me twice. He said no, it has nothing to do with 
with anything like that. These are just yeah. great people you'd want to partner with. Now, I'm still not sure I believe that. But yeah. uh, the point is, you know, this is a, this is a massive story. There's very little facts information about that and and you expressed on your show that that you want to see a lot more of that uh, yeah. before uh before we jump into bed with a league that uh you know obviously covid played a large role in the last uh collapse of the xfl but a league that has folded twice yeah john we're three weeks to the day here as we record um since the announcement and like can you tell me the first damn thing about this agreement, about these, I can't, you know, we're three weeks into the story. Now, look, uh, there's a school of thought. I believe there's a position here that the die isn't cast, that nothing is set in stone, and that's fine. And respective to what Wade Miller told you, like, first of all, I, I have a little trouble believing that this isn't financially motivated, yeah, but I'll take, him for, I'll, I'll take him for his word at a moment. Let's say this is strategic. Let's say that the nine CFL governors, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, got in a room with The Rock and the XFL, and they smelt what he was cooking. <laughs> and they decided, you know, now is the time to take this three-down, 12-man wide field game that we have been practitioners of for nearly a century and a half and to align ourselves with the American rules. And to me, John, that's the critical context here that is missing as a CFL fan. If you're telling me the league was at death's door, teams were going to fold, and that they needed this partnership, they needed this infusion of money, energy, and whatever else the XFL is bringing to save the league that I love, then fair enough. You know, that's information that I want. But if you're telling me it's simply strategic, that they have listened to the calls, and I used to hear them a fair bit on my radio show, the CFL should just move to the American uh, game, 11 men, narrow field, four downs and all that. Well, then that's a much different calculation for me because now I'm forced to evaluate how I feel about the commissioner and the nine governors um, surrendering a century and a half of Canadian football culture and tradition. So that's where I'm at. That's why I'm, I'm saying, God, we need more information on this. And the you know, sad reality is with all the cutbacks in corporate media over the years, we don't have a lot of outlets who are covering this league at a national level that are able to provide us that information as fans. And, and, and call me a skeptic, but I don't think that the CFL has done nearly enough to demonstrate that you know, the, the dire straits, you know, narrative that's, that's kind it. of been created is, is valid. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, Toronto's in a great place because it's not. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that BC's in a great place because it's not. But we also operate in a league where there's three teams of nine who have to publicly report their earnings as community-owned teams. And yeah. all three of them make money every year. And, and not only that, but when you look at the expense reports for Saskatchewan, well, they have $40 million of revenue every year, and they spend about $40 bucks. Well, Winnipeg has about $35 million in revenue every year, and they spend about $35 bucks. And in Edmonton, they have $25 million of revenue every year, and they spend about $25 bucks. And so the question has to be asked, how much does it cost to run a CFL team? Because yeah. if the community-owned teams <laughs> who have no incentive right, to post a profit, they are, at the end of the day, essentially nonprofit organizations, 
if yeah. they're if they're purposefully spending as much as they you know essentially need to 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 break even with maybe a little bit of a you know safety net behind that, then uh, you know to to me there's 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 little evidence to believe that the other six teams are all hemorrhaging money, and um, I, I have a hard time believing that many of them are are losing money at all. That's that's just my viewpoint. They've not done yeah. enough to demonstrate that at this point in time. Well, you're certainly right that these financial disclosures that are required of the community-based teams are going to paint us a little better uh, a picture. And I also think you're right, John, in that you know if this was death's door for the CFL, then uh, I, I would hope there would be some transparency there, right? Like I hope they would let us know how high the stakes were and submit to some degree of examination uh, towards their books, knowing full well thirty you know, a third of the league basically has to disclose their books um, publicly. So um, again, if, if that's where we were at here, um, and the other thing I should point out, and I saw the debate you had with Dave Naylor the other day, uh, and it was terrific because, you know, there's, uh, you know, I, that's what we're supposed to do as journalists, as reporters, right? You know, the sphere of ideas, the exchange of ideas. Um, were there other models available to Commissioner Ambrosi and the governors prior to this XFL dalliance? Were there different ways to go about skinning the cat going forward in the Canadian Football League that made it cheaper to operate or found a way of increasing uh, revenues? So I really hope that that information um, and sort of a fuller view of the conditions and stakes that were at hand when this deal was forged becomes available to us because I don't know about you, John, but I think it's particularly naive to think you're going to be able to pull off a 2021 season, uh, perhaps even an interrupted one, and I think we're getting closer and closer to that, uh, without any further comment on what's to come in 2022. Like, are we watching the lame duck season? Are we la watching the last hurrah of the three-down game in the Great Cup sort of as we know it, you know, these are really, really important questions to the football community and stakeholders across the country. And I sure hope either via the press or via the CFL's own disclosure that we get more information on this. Uh, and frankly, for me, the sooner the better. Yeah, I, I spoke to a source a few days ago who said, from what I understand, the only thing that hasn't been discussed at this point between the CFL and the XFL is the actual rules, is the actual gameplay. Yeah. Yeah. And personally, I find that disturbing uh, because, of course, what makes the CFL special is the game, right? I, I've looked at the numbers. I don't think college football has grown in any particular sense, at least in the recent short term in Canada. The NFL is booming. And I think a lot of people have pointed to that and drawn the conclusion, oh, Canadians want four downs. And I, I don't see any evidence of that. The XFL was, was not popular in Canada. College football, and I watched more college football this fall than I ever have because the CFL was, of course, not playing. I, I think the college football, uh, it, it, I, I think that's a great program. I think it's, it's great entertainment. But, but the audience for it in Canada is relatively small. The national title game audience has not grown for the last five years. Uh, 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 viewership doesn't seem to have increased. Interest doesn't seem to have increased. And if college football is not increasing, 
I don't think there's there's any reason to believe that there's really hunger for four down football in Canada. I think there's hunger for the NFL, but if you're not making a partnership with the NFL, I fail to see from a football perspective what a partnership with the XFL brings you. I think financially there's 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 some money to be made, and that's that's also why I want to see the books because as you said, have the governors and 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 the commissioner gotten together and said this is the only way to save the CFL is to do this, in which case it's a completely different conversation. What I'm concerned about is did they get together and say, hey, we own 150 years of history, somebody wants to buy it, slap a new label on it, and sell it to Americans. Yeah. Why not do that? And amid a pandemic, save ourselves a ton of short-term losses because yeah. no one can stop us. Yeah. So the idea of a strategic course change to the four down game or to the four down game masquerading as financial destitution and we needed the xfl to save our our backside i hear what you're saying i think there are some in canada that are intrigued about the four down game up here i think some are curious about the four down game up here but we always used to say on my old show uh if you're an nfl fan and just an nfl fan you've bought the sizzle not the steak yeah. If you watch the NFL, you watch the CFL, you watch U.S. College, you watch CIS, you sport football, you're a football fan. You bought the steak Absolutely. at that point, right? So I'm a steak guy. I love our version of the game. I love the National Football League. Frankly, I find the U.S. College game the most entertaining of them all. I love yeah. the variation. I love the variety that I get in all those forms uh, of football. So, you know, that's just me, you know, and there's no accounting. For, for taste here. Um, but the other concern I have about the four down game, John, uh, if it were to come up here, and we'll, I'll preface this by saying, if you look at the only other field football league that has had a degree of success in North America outside the, the NFL and the CFL, it is, of course, the old USFL in the early to mid 80s. Take a look at the quarterbacks who are in that league. Steve Young. <laughs> Goes on to be a Hall of Famer, win Super Bowl. Doug Williams goes on to win a Super Bowl MVP. The great Jim Kelly, he goes on to be a Hall of Famer. Bobby Abair steps into New Orleans and makes them a friend. Doug Flutie in New Jersey. Like, they had tremendous quarterbacking. And if you're going to go to the narrower field, what you have to understand is that you have now made the quarterback's job significantly more difficult than when you were on the broader field with the motion receivers, the yard off the ball, and all the different rules of the 12-man game. That's Those true. throwing windows in the NFL and on the compressed smaller field are extremely tight. You've reduced the margin of error for the quarterback to the deliver the ball accurately and on time, and you've decreased the amount of space for the athlete who receives that pass to make a play. So to think that you can just transpose the narrower field into the CFL talent level, where let's face it, the best CFL quarterbacks, they can make it in the NFL as backup quarterbacks. I have no yep. doubt about that. But they're probably outside the best 50 quarterbacks in the world. So you're now asking them to make throws that even quarterbacks 30 through 50 in the NFL have trouble with. Heck, 20 through 50. So I'm just not sure that would be as aesthetically pleasing, and I think it would affect the entertainment value um, of, this, of the CFL, XFL, whatever you want to call it, 
going forward. Frankly, John, you know, I wonder if coaches would then adapt and you'd be looking at a version of the game that was a little more comparable to like the 1970s and 80s in the NFL when passing wasn't quite the thing it is now and you won by having a stud tailback. So have all these calculations, permutations, consequences, intended or otherwise, have all those things been fleshed out by the CFL in their ongoing talks with the XFL? I sure hope so. Well, I, I mean, I have deep concerns, and, and you're, you're bang on about the on-field product. There are, there are huge concerns I have. Um, but e- even just something as simple as when do we play a season? Well, the XFL is not going to compete with the NFL. They want to start their season in March, and they want to wrap it up by August. Okay, well, let me ask you this, and this is a purely hypothetical, Matt, but let me ask you this. Sure. You're, you're, a, you're a stud receiver. You didn't quite catch on in the NFL, but you played. Let's, let's say you played at Florida International, and you have the choice. You're a free agent. You're going to sign in the XFL. You have the choice of going to camp in February in Tampa Bay or you can go to Regina, Saskatchewan. Again, middle of February for training camp. Which are you going to pick? I don't even need to wait for the answer because I know what you're going to pick. And second to that... If well, let's a... hope they have a dome. Let's hope they have a practice dome, John, or let's hope they locate training camp in okay. Florida. Okay, and, and, and they could probably do that in Saskatchewan for practice, but then they're going to open uh, Mosaic Stadium, which is a beautiful yeah, oh field, and they're going to yeah. have their home opener on March 15th, and they're going to yeah. have to clear the 18 inches of snow that fell yeah. overnight because the average high in Regina for the month of March <laughs> still doesn't crack freezing. And I, I and I I'm born and bred in Manitoba. I'm still I still live in Manitoba. So we're we're no better off here. The same situation is true in Edmonton to a lesser extent yeah. Calgary. So so your plan is to take the current CFL attendance and attendance has declined slightly over the last decade. Uh, but it's still as good as it was. It's actually better now than it was in the 90s. It's about on par with the 1980s, and or not not far <laughs> down from the 80s. It's it stayed relatively consistent. CFL, um, and that's of course while television ratings and 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 revenues have gone up. You know something like 700 um, percent. That that plan of let's get fans in the stands for XFL football in the month of March does not make any sense to me from a business perspective, just as much as that from a football perspective, this marriage doesn't seem to to jive either. Well, first of all, you're uh, reinforcing my decision to move from Ottawa, Toronto to Vancouver (laughs) on that weather report, John. So thank you. Uh, Secondly, I've thought about that a little bit too, with the season ending in September. I mean, for me, um, Canadian football, If you're going to win a championship, it means overcoming the conditions outside. To me, that is part of the cultural uh, significance of our game. I get really excited after Halloween, John, because I get to sit down on weekends and watch these CFL playoff games with the breath coming out of the face mask and the snow globe game in Regina or Winnipeg. And seeing these athletes have to overcome the conditions that are forced upon them by Mother Nature. So I treasure that sort of part of the CFL game. If you're telling me the cold weather games have to move to the beginning of the season because we're going to play our championship in September, again, at the end of the day, if that's the difference between having a league up here and not having a league up here, I will subscribe to spring football. I prefer not 
as someone who has gone to 15 Grey Cups and loves that sort of uh, gathering from coast to coast, citizens and fans from coast to coast, usually outdoors, colder environments and all that. Um, but yeah, again, if that's, if that's the only alternative here, uh, I can I can abide and I can subscribe, but I would like to know the conditions that were at hand when the uh, commissioner and the governors, if they so have, you know, went about fundamentally changing a 150-year institution. And I, I, I could not agree with you more. And I, I want that on the record, too. I'm not someone who says it would be better for, for professional football in this country to die than to change anything about the CFL. That's that's not what I what I personally uh, uh, believe. That's not how I feel. I know there are people like that. And interestingly enough, the polls that I've seen, there have been many on Twitter. I have done one. Dave Naylor's done another. CFL News did another. The rate of people who are currently CFL fans who, at least at the moment, say they would never, ever uh, uh, be fans of a an XFL in Canada uh, is about 30%. Now, are all 30% of those people actually going to stay away if this thing happens? Ah, that's debatable, but that's the information we have to go on right now between a, a pretty decent sample size between all the polls of a few, you know, a few thousand respondents per per poll. Um, but I, 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 I 100% am in agreement with you that we need more information and more transparency because if, if it is true that this is the CFL saying, look, this is the only route to survival, which, which may or may not be true, they have not come remotely close to, to uh, providing the evidence yeah. for that and, and, and doing enough to limit my skepticism of the actual struggle that the CFL is experiencing as a whole. Obviously, there's problems in Toronto. Obviously, there's problems in Vancouver, Montreal, to a, to a lesser extent as well. But as a whole, is the CFL still viable? My opinion, after digging into the numbers the last three weeks, is yes. Um, whether or not I hope you're true, right, John. I, I, I hope I, I'm I, right, too. I hope you're right, and, and I'm with you. They, they haven't made the case with me yet, uh, which is why I think we need more reporting on this. Uh, and to circle this back to, uh, you know, to where we began, um, Dave Naylor and Farhan Lalji at TSN are two of my closest friends. Uh, two of my best friends in the business, wonderful allies and collaborators for a number of years at TSN, and it was Naylor even going back to our Globe and Mail uh, days. Because of the way that you know corporate media has concentrated in this country uh, over the last ten years or so, um, we don't have the same number of reporters covering the league at a national level covering the business of the Canadian Football League like we used to. For example, uh, you know, 10 years ago when myself, Dave Naylor, Steve Braun, Al Mackey, and some others were at the Globe and Mail, like the big CFL story came about, and one that comes to mind was the story we broke about David Braley's cross-ownership of the Lions and the Argos. Like, we attacked that story with a number of reports. We fleshed it out. Here's what it means. Here, you know, here's what other teams are saying about it. You know, did they make trades? Was there anything fishy? Here's where the commissioner, here's how the commissioner proposes to fix all that. We don't have that same level of media scrutiny on the league uh, at, at, and the league head office at a national level that we had. In fact, if not for Three Down Nation, TSN would probably be the only outlet covering the Canadian Football League from a national level. So, again, they are great friends, and I respect the hell of them uh, as reporters. But but I've said to Dave and Farhan, 
guys, your reporting on this has been insufficient so far. Um, you seem to know some things. And you seem to have a certainty on Twitter in your analysis and tone of commentary that this was absolutely needed. Well, then prove it to me. You know, great rule of right. journalism. Show, don't tell. You know, give us the details uh, on why all of this was necessary because I do sort of feel they have a solemn responsibility um, with not only, you know, a half century of combined experience covering the Canadian Football League, you know, but also be also being positioned um, at TSN with the league's partner and programmer that, you know, they've got to get the story out. They've got to let journalism and the editorial side guide their coverage of this story so we know what we're looking at as CFL, as CFL fans. I, uh, I agree. And, and, and I'm, I'm friends with Dave and Farhan as well. I really enjoyed the debate that I had with Dave a couple weeks ago on, in this space. It was terrific, John. I, I caught that. That was uh, really good stuff. Uh, good on both of you for keeping it civil and good on both of you for, you know, the exchange uh, of ideas from very different positions and points of view. I thought that was tremendous from both of you. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm somebody, I'm, I'm always going to make it about the issue, not the person. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, t- to me, it's useless to yell at each other. And, and, and at the end of the day, I respect Dave and I, I know Dave respects my, my take as well. Um, so I'm glad it, it came across that way. And, and, and Matt, I'm really excited that, that you're able to join us today. Um, I think this is a really interesting story. We, we need more information. We need to, to keep trying to, to dig into this. And, and I'm just hoping that whatever happens, the conclusion is a satisfactory one for Canadian football fans. This is a, this is a league with 150 years of history. And to throw that yeah. out to avoid some short-term losses would be a crime, in my view. Yeah, and John, you know, it may well be that uh, I'm just a little too impatient and a little too hasty in wanting this information. Uh, but, you know, my experience was we were season ticket holders when the Ottawa Rough Riders went down in 96 after 125 years. I then moved on to Carleton University where we covered the 50-year tradition of Carleton football that was spiked. I then became a CFL beat reporter at the Ottawa Citizen where I covered the rise and quick fall of the Ottawa Renegades <laughs> in four years. So I've got a lot of scar tissue, my friend, with, right. with the three-down game and 12-man football and programs being spiked and traditions uh, lost. And I'm so pleased the Carlton tradition is back as well as the Ottawa CFL tradition. So, um, you know, this is deep. This is meaningful to me. Um, the CFL holds a really, really special place in my heart and a really, really special place in Canadian culture. Like I've always thought of the Grey Cup as the single greatest, you know, annual Canadian unity meeting that we have, you know, Agreed. because people from Quebec to the West Coast here and even Atlanta, Canada, all converge on this city and tip a beer and your team's blue and my team's green, but we all rejoice and, and love the game and get together and you know, bring a little bit more understanding across this vast geographic land of ours. So, yeah, I, I sure hope this works out for the best. And I, I'm eager to know more about the conditions that were at play when, when this agreement was entered and what's to come, because I think it's one of the more consequential Canadian sports stories that we've seen this decade. Thank you very much, Matt. Again, you can find Matt at the Sakaris and Price Show anywhere you find your podcasts. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. Thanks again, Matt, for joining us and uh, appreciate the time. Thanks, John. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.